Good morning, Gate Church. How is everyone today? Are we feeling good? I know you're looking good. My dad always said nothing feels as good as looking good. And so based on how you look, you guys must feel great today. My name is Jordan Roberts, and I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for being here today. My wife and I, my wife Holly, we have the great privilege and honor of serving on the pastoral team here at the Gate Church under our senior pastor, Pastor Kathy Miller. And so I'm so happy to be here with you today, and uh, I've had you on my heart all week this week. And I want to say that it does my heart so good to see so many of you here. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're looking at me saying, I don't even know if you know me. Well, let me just go ahead and hit that right on the head. I'm terrible with names, but I look around and I never forget a face. And so there's so many times during the week that some of you, we may never, we may never have shaken a hand. We maybe haven't hugged each other's neck, but I remember your faces and I pray for you. We pray for you because we love you. Does that feel all right? So thank you for being here today. Now, before I get going, I want to share uh, a couple of ideas with you. I want to give some honor today. Uh, I want to say thank you to our senior pastor, Pastor Kathy Miller, for giving me the chance and the opportunity to speak to you today. It's a great privilege and honor. She's not here. We have a family member who's graduating high school, and we've got family from overseas that's here to celebrate. And so just with coordination and all that, she's not here today. So I'm holding down the fort on behalf of the family today. So uh, honor to Pastor Kathy. And you know, my lovely wife, uh, had the privilege and honor of speaking to you all last week on Mother's Day. That was last week, right? That was last week. She did such an incredible job, and I am so proud of her. And I'm going to tell you why. is because anytime a person preaches or shares from the platform, uh, there's always pressure to do it a certain way, to live up to an idea that we think people have, or to do it the way that we think it needs to be done. But uh, I'm just going to say something to you. I want to suggest something to you that for so long growing up in the church, it seems that people who have a communication gift seem to always be promoted. They seem to get the spotlight. They get the platform. But I'm afraid that sometimes we've overlooked people who maybe don't do it the way we like, but they've got something to say. And so something I love about the Gate Church is that we put an emphasis on who's got something to say. Who's been with Jesus? Let's not worry about the mold and let's not worry about the form. Let's find the people who have been walking with Jesus. And so I want to honor my wife publicly that she is a woman who has walked with God and she has stayed true to herself and who God has made her to be. So Holly, I know you just stepped out, but if you're watching me or listening to me, I love you and I could not be more proud of you. Amen. Now, I'm sorry. I know that's a bit personal, but I got the mic and you're here. And if you got up right now, it'd be awkward. Everybody would know you were offended, and so you're just going to have to endure it. So we're right in the middle of our sermon series called Table Stories. And as we've discussed table stories, we've discussed different disciples or followers of Jesus in the context of this, that Jesus invited people to follow him. 
and by walking with him and by eating with him and by doing life with Jesus, these disciples' lives were radically changed. Our hope and our desire that as a leadership team and as a congregation, that we'll follow in the footsteps of these characters that we've looked at, that we will follow Jesus and that we'll find ourselves at the table with him and with each other. And we look around and go, my life is being changed. And so that's my hope and my goal for you today. And so we're going to be looking at the character John today. So we're going to take a look at his life in three acts or three parts today. It's going to be a bit different. I'm going to lead us right down to the end. I'm not going to open with the scripture, but trust me, there will be plenty of scripture. If it's okay with you, I'd like to pray just briefly before we get going this morning. So if you don't mind, just bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we put all of our attention and focus on you. God, we're so thankful for your faithfulness towards us. And Lord, we choose to open our hearts today to you, to hear your voice and to receive your word. And so Lord, as as your followers today, as your children, that is the place that we take today. And we say, Lord, minister to our hearts. Lord, use your word to change our lives. I wanna be different when I leave than when I got up this morning. If that's what you want Jesus to do for you to say, just say, Lord, change my heart today. Amen and amen and amen. Now, thank you, Sarah. We're gonna look at John the Apostle or John the brother of James. Many of you may be familiar with James and John, two brothers working together in their parents' fishing company. They earned the nickname Sons of Thunder. Now, I don't know about you, but that's like maybe the coolest nickname ever. I have never quite achieved a nickname that cool or appropriate. And so I'm a little jealous of John just from the bat. But if you'll give me your attention for just a few moments, we're going to look at some points of John's life. And I want to give you a little bit of who he is and where he comes from. And these things are all clearly found in the Gospels. And so John, his father's name was Zebedee. And his mother's name was, I'm going to say it this way. There's probably a couple ways we could pronounce this, but I'm going to go with Salome. Okay. His older brother is James. And I've already just shared with you that his nickname, he and his brother shared is the Sons of Thunder. And as I've studied John's life and I've tried to get to know this character, I didn't want to know John through some of his most famous statements or the famous scriptures that he is so well known for writing down for us. I wanted to try to get to know the man and I wanted to understand where he began in his journey with Christ, what that journey looked like and then where did he wind up. And so here is the synopsis that I have, the analyzation of who John the apostle was when he first started his walk with Christ. And I'm gonna give you some reasons why I believe these things, but I don't believe that John was openly prideful. You know, most of the time when we see someone who's prideful, it's very off-putting. 
Um, and generally, we tend to, if we see uh, a person who's prideful or obnoxious, we tend to turn away and say, I don't really want anything to do with that guy. And if you're looking and saying, I've never even met anybody like that, well, might be you. So I'm just saying something to think about. I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying it might be. So just something to think about. But I don't think that John was prideful. However, I do think this. I think that John was self-conscious. He was self-aware. He was not off-putting, but he saw himself as playing a significant role in a significant story. He knew he was important. He knew he had something to offer. And so let's look at a few details. Here's why I've come to this conclusion is because uh, his father's fishing business, the scripture tells us that they owned multiple fishing boats. Boats in this time were a very expensive uh, business asset. And so it'd be like if you were a trucking company and you owned hundreds of trucks or dozens of trucks, that's lots of money. You're making lots of money. And so his father was a successful fisherman. We also see, and would we, it's easy for us to deduce that the Apostle John would have had more worldly possessions than most of his other disciple brothers. The family business also made enough money that Zebedee hired employees to help him run all of these boats. And so you have to understand that in Roman times, when these guys were the minority, they lived under the foot in the weight of the Roman Empire. And so for Zebedee to have these business assets, for us, we would probably look at the fishing boats they use today and we would not be impressed. However, in these days, this was a very big deal. And so we can easily say this, that John comes from a family of successful businessmen. He's probably enjoyed a little more privilege than the uh, average Israelite of that time. John also enjoyed more worldly influence than the other disciples. The scripture give us a, gives us a couple of sentences that one time when they were in Jerusalem, the high priest Caiaphas recognized and knew John by name and invited he and Jesus for a conversation. And now I really want to emphasize something that in the is, is Israelite Hebrew culture, the high priest was about as close to a president or prime minister as we could get. That was a very high-ranking official office. In the Hebrew world, there's no separation of church and state. And so it's kind of like the pope and the president just slammed together in those days. So Caiaphas was a man of great influence, and he knew John and his family directly. And so I don't know about you, but you know, like when you know someone famous or you get to meet someone famous and you tell your family about it, you know, you get, you get some clout points for knowing someone who's a big deal. And John had that privilege. And as we read through the scriptures, we see that John has a tendency uh, just as much, but even more so than Peter to step up and to speak out his opinions about what things should be done or how we should handle that. And so he's very bold and confident in who he is as a man. And in Luke 9 and 49, we have this example to maybe hopefully set the stage for my point. The disciples find out that there is a man going around casting out demons in Jesus' name, but he was not one of the disciples. 
And so John thought the proper response was to run and tell Jesus, Jesus, there's this dude over here. He ain't one of us, but he's over there casting out demons in your name. Let's go get him. How dare he? And Jesus's response to John is, uh, and actually the heading in most of your Bibles will say, Jesus uh, destroys or does not support sectarianism. Some Bibles say that. So what is, what is Jesus saying to John? John, there's no teams. If they're not against us, then they're with us. And so don't stop that man from setting people free when he's using my name, even though he's not following us around. And so already we see that John has this idea that I'm the protector of the faith. I'm the protector of the way. There's a club here. We are the heroes of this story. Jesus is the hero, but we're one of the heroes of this Messiah story that Jesus is telling, and we're a big deal. And if you don't do it with us or you don't do it our way, then you can't be a part of the story. And so that was my setup there. So here we go, part one. So if you got, if you got little notes and you want to write things down, part one is thunder. And so this story that we're about to read is John puts his worldview on full display. Luke 9 and 51. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we're going to read through a little past verse 56. So just a few verses. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that Jesus, this is speaking of Jesus, he had steadfastly set his face to go, to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before him. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, speaking of Jesus. But they did not receive Jesus because his, say, his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know the manner of spirit you have. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. So they went to another village. So there's some poetic language here, but it simply says this, that Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus sends some of the boys to find a place in this Samaritan village for them to spend the night. But in those days, there would have been a village elder or a city elder, and they made decisions about who do we let in and who do we not let in. And so they said, we don't want this Jesus in our village. And so the word comes back and James and John catch wind. And what does John suggest we do? I'm just going to say it. We essentially want a supernatural nuclear bomb to wipe this Samaritan village off the map. How dare they reject us? How dare they turn Jesus away? Now, let's think this through. Now, <clears throat> there's this little boy that I know, and he recently got in the habit of just saying things like, man, nuke him, nuke him. And, you know, he's a little boy, and so he just thinks like, you know, sock him real good. That's what that means to him. Um, but I had to explain to him that, son, you need to think about what you're saying when you say nuke them. 
Because what that actually means is people just disappear from the face of the planet. It's horrific and it's terrible. So we don't joke about things like that. And that's exactly what James and John, they're so angry in that moment. I love this. They said, we'll call it down. James and John will call down fire from heaven. And I think if in that moment, Jesus would have said, yeah, boys, you go ahead and get them. They'd have been like, fire and fury. As if they had the authority or power to do that. So they are presumptuous in their ability to execute judgment. They are presumptuous with their ability to wield the power of heaven. And then they have made the worst mistake. They have not considered what is our mission and our purpose? What are we really doing following Jesus around? Because they said, let's, in a moment of, of heat, a moment of anger, John shows us that he has been on the journey with Jesus, but that his heart and his mind is not yet transformed. And so he's on the path with Jesus, but he's wanting to respond in an Old Testament way. He's wanting to respond out of an old way, an old pattern. And what he was suggesting was death and destruction for innocent men, women, and children. And I want to say something to all of us. This story is quite comical, especially reading it back through the lens of history. We can have a good laugh at James and John's expense. However, we have to also read this story through our lens, and we have to be very, very careful right here. We can't fall into the same trap that John did in thinking that we know best and that the way we feel in the moment, that is the way God has judged that situation. That person rejected me. They hurt me, and so God rained down fire on them. This is not God's way. John is operating under the idea that we are the ones who have to carry this thing. And so he made a tragic misstep. And so if you continue on in that passage of Scripture, we see where that is where Jesus, to bring the boys back around, he corrects them very strongly and says, guys, we are not here to hurt people. We're not here to wipe people off the map. We're here trying to save their lives, man. And so he corrects them very strongly, I believe, if you read the scripture correctly. However, he also brings it back around and says, guys, we got to get your tempers under control. Notice that Jesus doesn't reject them. Notice that Jesus doesn't reject these guys, even though they were wrong. And so he lovingly and playfully gives them this nickname, Sons of Thunder. How many of you are glad that our God doesn't win us to his cause with fire and brimstone? And we, when we come to Jesus, we're not met with the ultimatum of turn and burn. And that his method is not blood and thunder. His method is love and kindness and compassion. Amen? Now, this is part two. And I'll call this a throne, if you please. And so I believe that this was a crucial moment for John in his journey with Jesus. At this point in the story where we are about to read, John has been following Jesus for some time. 
And they are in the final week uh, going into Jesus being crucified. We'll call it 10 days just to give a little flex in there for history's sake. And so they're just days away from Christ being crucified. And so John, along with all the other disciples, they have seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen him feed the 5,000. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him uh, get the man at the pool of Bethesda up so he can walk again. Uh, John was one of only three who saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And so John has been privy to a front row seat of the Messiah walking through his country, setting things right, drying every tear. But here's the problem. John has been walking with Jesus, but he hasn't been transformed by Jesus. And when we read this passage here, John is about to bet every, he's going to bet the farm on that what he believes about himself is true. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. So we know Zebedee and Salome, James and John are their children. And so John's mama, John's mama has convinced James and John, let's go talk to Jesus about something. Kneeling down as if to ask something from him. And Jesus said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. And so what is she saying? They're, they have already shown, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised king of Israel who he's going to fix all the world's problems. He's about to come into his kingdom because now he's in Jerusalem. And so now is the time to start jockeying so that my boys can get the best possible position. Now, I, I know that none of you have ever known a mother to do this. I know that none of your moms have ever tried to make you better than the rest and that her love just kind of pushed you into a place that maybe you weren't quite ready for. I know that's never happened. It's just theoretical, right? But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. And so we need to remember that mama is there and both of the boys are with her. And they're kind of cowering behind mom's skirts because they want the position, but they don't have the guts to ask themselves. And Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am about to receive? And they said to him, we are able. I don't think the guys understand the cup that Jesus is going to have to drink from, nor do they understand the baptism that he is about to endure. Notice, notice how important they think they are. We're up to the task, man. You say the word and we'll do it. Come on. Now, I know a lot of faith people. They jump off a building if they felt like Jesus said, do it. I'm ready. It's like, no, you're not. You're crazy. We're able. And so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. 
and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Notice Jesus' humility. I love it so much. Jesus knows that he is the Messiah. But even he says, I don't go against what my father already has prepared. These positions that you're asking about, that's not my job to say. That's the father's job. And then when the other disciples heard what these guys were asking, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called the disciples to himself and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. For whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so now we see here that John and James, they share many a a similar issue in their own life. They've now come to Jesus and they've they've let their cat out of the bag. Now they have fully shown what some of the agendas of their heart are. But I want to point a few things out to you. These men were asking, we want positions of importance. We want to play a vital role. Notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. I want to encourage some of you in here. You may be listening to this and you say, I want to do something great, but I'm grappling with, I want to be great, but I don't know when to step out because I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be presumptuous. Jesus has just blessed John and us with a pattern to follow. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be great, but let's understand what that word great means. Jesus came to define for us as a people, as created beings, what do our words really mean? Because see, you have an idea of greatness. I have an idea of greatness, but greatness is really what Jesus says it is. He's a good shepherd because not only did he tell us what real greatness is, he demonstrated for us what real greatness is. And so Jesus points out, boys, you know better than most that the rulers of this world, they lord over people with an iron fist. They lie, cheat, steal, and manipulate to stay in power. They make you do the work to pay their bills. They make you slaves and call it culture. That's Tacitus, by the way, for any of you ancient Roman scholars. Isn't that what goes on even in the world today? People presume to rule over others. I'm better than you. I know more than you, and so I'm going to dominate you. But Jesus says, it will not be this way with you all. And so I want to challenge some of us today. Many times when we ask God to bless us, we want him to give us a seat. We want him to give us a ring of office. 
We want him to give us authority. We want him to exalt and to elevate us above our peers. I have struggled with it and you have struggled with it because it's part of the condition of being a human. Jesus wanted to bless John that day. He didn't just bless John, he blessed us. Because Jesus took John's worldview and he turned it on its head. Many times when we say, God love us, pour out your goodness on us, we want him to exalt us. But sometimes Jesus will say something you don't want to hear because he loves you. I'm going to say that again because I didn't feel not one drip of love on that statement. Sometimes because Jesus loves you, he'll tell you something that you don't want to hear. Sometimes because he loves you, he'll challenge you. He won't let you continue down a faulty path because he knows all that lies at the end of the selfish road is disappointment. And I want to tell somebody today, you may not be prideful, but your eyes have been on the wrong thing. Our focus has been on the wrong thing. We have, we have been plowing in the wrong field. We're going down the wrong road. And I want Jesus to be able through John to tell all of us today, myself included, if we want to go high in God's kingdom, we have to be prepared to go low. And that a man who is great in God's kingdom is not the one who has a thousand servants, but it's the man who serves a thousand. It's the man who serves a thousand that is great. And as I'm looking at you today, I felt this morning to encourage you. Some of you have lost sight of that truth. And with love and compassion, not one ounce of judgment, I want to call you back to the truth that God will bless us. He is a God of abundance and more than enough. He is a God who has called you to be more than you are now. But the path that we, that we walk on to get there is a path of service. It's a path of us laying our life down where we look at our brothers and sisters and say, not what can I get from you, it's what can I give you? What can I do for you? Brother, what is your burden? How can I help carry that pain that's in your heart? How can I pray with you? There are some things I don't have the answer for, but I know who does. I'm going to call your name out, brother. I'm going to call your name out, sister. And I'm going to believe that the faithful God of the universe is going to move on your behalf. I wonder, is there anybody in here that you're tired of living your life, looking in the mirror, trying to find your own glory? trying to find how successful you can be. Let's throw the mirror down and let's look at the cross of Jesus Christ and say, that's the way for me to live. Is there anybody in here that you're tired of turning a blind eye to people who are in pain? Are you tired of trying to distract yourself from the difficulty that our world is in with our own pleasures. I don't know about you, but it grieves my heart. My heart becomes heavy when I try to convince myself I don't need to take responsibility for them.
I don't need to help them. I don't need to worry about them. I can't have everybody's answer. Let me tell you something, friend. I don't have to have their answer, but I know who is. I know who does have the answer. And my prayer is that God will deliver Jordan and God will deliver the gate church the same way that he delivered John. And that when I see the closed doors of a Samaritan village, my response will not be fireballs, but that my heart will be moved and grieved and I'll say, God help me to love them anyway. When I preach the word and they don't like it, God help me to love them anyway. God, when they don't give and they don't show up and they ain't faithful, when we're all a little bit Samaritan, God help me to see those people the way that you see them. When I read headlines about celebrities and politicians and singers and actresses and generals and prime ministers, it's absolute chaos. And I read headlines and I go, if I could line 20 of those people up, I'd choke every one of them for being so crazy. That's what my flesh says. But my heart says, God, help me to love people the way that you love people. Help me to see them the way that you see them. I don't want to rain down fireballs on Samaritans. I want to love them. And when we do achieve a little bit of success, when you get the thing that you've asked for, the thing you've worked for, I'm not going to take that from you. So many of us, we've bled and we've worked. We've put our lifeblood, our sweat and our tears into building something, into having something. I know some of you, some of you have clawed your way out of poverty. And you know what? I applaud you. I respect you. I know many successful businessmen in here that God has filled your every dream. And here's what I want to say. If he's given it to you, then you deserve it. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor at heart. And here's my heart cry. That when I get to stand at God's pulpit and open his holy scriptures, that my heart won't go, God, elevate me. Give me the seat so that everybody will look at me. I want to say this. God, when I walk off the platform, help me to love you as much as when I walk onto it. When I've got all those zeros in my bank accounts, God, help me remember it's not about how high I can get. It's about how low I'm willing to go. That there's no one that I won't bend over for. There's no one that I won't humble myself to and say, how can I help you? Tell me about your problems. Tell me about your troubles. There's no one that will pass by and walk over. I want to compliment you this morning, Gate Church. I believe that in our bones, down in our feet and in our toes, and even with our pocketbooks, this church has a DNA and a history that we are going to love the people of our city no matter who they are. And so I want to say this, bless you for being faithful to following in Jesus' way, that we will love the people of our city. I hope you can receive that. I'm going to say it again. I don't think you caught it. 
I bless you today for being faithful and being willing to follow God and to love people no matter who they are, where they're from, or what their problems are. We will always be a church that we love people no matter who they are. If you want to love people how he loved them, can you give God a hand clap of praise? So do I see people the way Jesus sees people? Do I serve people the way Jesus serves people? I believe that when Jesus confronted John that day, it was a crisis moment. How many know that in God's kingdom, growth, change, transformation is always a process. Seed time and harvest. You reap what you sow. The seed, the stalk, and then the corn in the ear. Everything takes time. However, this is why I love God. It took him seven days to make the earth. But there's always a moment. There's always a time when things go from being without form and void to now God's up to something. Let there be light. And I think that for some of us today, there's a let there be light moment happening in here. You may not be running around in circles. You may not be doing Holy Ghost jumping jacks. And you may not be calling out with your mouth. But I know because I feel it, there are some hearts who are having a let there be light moment. And when Jesus said, John, you can still be great. But if you want to be great, you're going to have to serve how I serve. The light bulb came on. The transformation process kicked off in an amazing way. How do we know that? That sounds real good. How do we know? Just a few days later, we have this amazing story of John in that he was self-aware, but now he has become surrendered. So part three is surrender. And so because of the let there be light moment where Jesus said, John, to be great, you've got to serve and you have to love. Now this almost three years, a little over three years of ministry that John has witnessed all begins to make sense. Now he understands why Jesus got the girl up from the dead. He knows now why Jesus fed the 5,000, why he would speak clearly and plainly to people in authority, and he was kind and compassionate to people who were crippled and overlooked. It makes sense now. This is what Jesus is up to. We're not here to wipe people out. We're here to love them. John demonstrates that he is now submersed in brotherly love. We have this story in John chapter 13 and verse 21. And so the disciples have come to the, what we call the Last Supper. And so they're just hours away from Jesus going to his crucifixion. Jesus has gathered his men together, and they're sharing a final meal. And so for the sake of time, I've cut out a little bit of scripture on the front end. And so we're going to pick up right as the supper is happening. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled 
in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he's speaking to his men, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now you have to understand here that these are men who have lived and eaten and they've shared tents together like we've been living in the bush together. We've been tromping all around Galilee, turning things upside down. Now we're in the city, so now we're living high life. We have been through a lot of things together. And you got to remember, this is 12. Okay, I'm just going to ballpark. We'll say 350 people in this room this morning. Just from the look of it, I'm pretty good at that because I've counted in this room so many times. There's about 350 people in here. There's just a few, I would say there's just a few over 12 in this room, 12 people who know each other super well. And Jesus says, one of y'all is going to betray me and bring this whole show to an end. Okay? It got tense. It got awkward and uncomfortable. We're going to get into that in more than more in just a second. So now, so this is John writing this. He refers to himself in the third person now. And so the, G, the disciple whom Jesus loved was leaning on Jesus' bosom. Simon Peter therefore motioned to John to ask, who is it of whom he speaks? Okay, now let me give you just a little bit of context here. Lord, don't erase just a little bit of context. If you read this same story in the other gospels, here are some important details that we know. Is that there were some swords in this room. We know exactly that there were two swords in this room. And so John is telling this story from his perspective. And so if you just read John's story, you think Jesus said that and everybody kind of went, oh, I wonder who he's talking about. And everybody kind of looks around real quiet. Not so. When you read the other uh, accounts of this story in the other gospels, here's what we find. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they jumped up from the table and started pointing. And they would run to Jesus and get down and say, Jesus, is it me? Is it me? Surely I'm not the one. I don't want to be the one. And then they say, I think it's Andrew. He's had a funny look in his eyes the past couple of days, and I've seen him texting on his phone to people who I didn't know who he was texting. And I saw, I saw, I saw Nathaniel. He was tweeting the other day, and he said something about Jesus that I don't know was super positive. I think it's him. And so the, the room erupts in chaos. And so in the midst of the chaos, Peter, trying to bring a little bit of order, Peter that he is, he's like, John, ask him who it is. And Peter's trying to quell the rebellion. And so it says that they're rec reclining on a chair together, which was custom in that time. And so John leans up in Jesus's ear. Jesus is, un un he's, not, he's not rattled by all this chaos. And so John leans up and says, who is it? And this is where the story picks up right here. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered to John, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, speaking of Judas. Then Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Now listen closely, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to Judas. 
For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the, for the feast, or that we should give something to the poor. This is a very important passage of scripture. So there's a lot of truth in this sentence. So please bear with me. We're almost about to land this plane. It's very important for us to understand that Jesus stands up and gives Judas the bread. And that's a sign to John that Judas is the one who will betray. But no one else heard or understood what Jesus did. Why? Because there's still a commotion and a ruckus in the room. And so this is very important. Only Jesus and only John knew that it was Judas who was about to betray. Why is this so important? Well, let me answer that with another question. Do you really think that if John was not changed, he would have responded in this manner? We need to remember that not long ago, when the Samaritan village closed its doors to Jesus, what was John's response? Burn them to the ground, turn them to ash and to dust. And then now it's real. Now one of us is about to hand Jesus over. Do you not see how John has been so radically changed? He keeps his mouth shut. The old John would have grabbed one of the swords and said, there's no way Judas is getting out them doors. And then if you didn't have the nerve to do it yourself, so if you, maybe John was a little guy like me, and let's just say Judas was uh, not so little, maybe he was built about like my friend Terrence right there, hard to handle, okay? So let's just assume that's how it was. What could he, what could he have said? Peter asked, who was it? He could have said, Peter, it's Judas. What do you think Peter would do? Exactly what he did to that Roman soldier who tried to, or that, that Hebrew soldier who tried to take Jesus. He said, that's right. you ain't taking my Jesus. But he kept his mouth shut. I want us to think and to consider why this is such a dramatic change. John is privy to a piece of information that at that time only three people on the planet were privy to. Why did Jesus take so much time to continually point out one of you is going to betray me? Because Jesus was hoping. He was giving Judas every chance to repent and to say, I can't betray my master. And so even when Jesus is saying it, he's hoping in his heart that Judas will change his mind. Look at John. He demonstrates such restraint and he follows his master because why? He hopes for the same thing that Jesus does. Maybe Judas will change his mind. I once heard this said about Judas. I never considered. I thought it was so powerful. Have you ever thought about that even after Judas betrayed Jesus, he could have still run to the cross and humbled himself at Jesus' feet and said, forgive me. What do you think Jesus would have done? He would have forgiven Judas right there on the spot. And so John is working with his master, holding out, hoping that Judas will not do this to himself. 
we have to do the same thing that John has done. It's easy to look at a Samaritan village and say, God's changed my heart. I want to love them even though they're closed off to the gospel. I want to take it a step further. What do you do when it's the person sitting beside you? What do you do when it's your family? What do you do when it's the people you've walked with, the people that you've served with, the people that you've loved, that they're doing everything right on the outside, but you see something in their heart, that there's a Samaritan village in their heart. I'm going to put your feet to the fire. Can you still love people when it's them that's closest to you that are turning on you? Can you keep your mouth shut and leave the situation in God's hands? I'm going to say it again. Can we keep our mouth shut when it's the circumstances are out of control? We might lose Jesus. The ship is crashing, man. The plane is burning. Can we keep our mouth shut? Can we stay surrendered and say, God knows what he's doing. God is in control and my trust is in him. I don't have to run Judas down and kill him because I'm submitted. I'm submersed in brotherly love and I'm surrendered. And I say, God, if you don't call him out, I don't need to call him out. God, I put it in your hands, this situation. God, I put my business in your hand. I don't have to go in and fire and brimstone. God, I put my family in your hands. I don't have to fire and brimstone them. God, I'm surrendered to you. And that God, if you ask me to keep my mouth closed, that's exactly what I'll do. I felt this so clearly. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. I felt this so clearly to tell someone the blessing that God has for you is not in what you need to do or say. It's in you being still and being quiet and letting God work it out for you. Come on, if that's you, I'm a, listen, it's a little different. If, it, if that's you, you just get real quiet and nobody look around you to say, Lord, I receive that. Lord, I pray that if there, those of us, we find ourselves like John where we need to trust you, that God, we steal ourselves and we say, we trust you. Help us to keep my hand and to keep my mouth where it needs to be. We pray that in Jesus' name. Now, if the band will come and if you'll stand on your feet with me. My heart cry today is that we'll let the principles in the gospel of Jesus to minister to our hearts and that we will understand that the way of God is not fire and brimstone, that the way of God is humility and love and surrender. And when we are willing to walk that path he will indeed make us great. So there's two people that I'm talking to here today. Some of you, as I describe John, you say, that's me. That's me. I've tried to elevate my own self. My story has been about me. And this is a moment for us to make it right. And then there's another person. Then there's another person. And you're someone who you have been. You have been walking in humility. You have been serving. And you have been loving. 
and your eyes have been on him and you're saying, Lord, I know that there is something that you have for me. And I'm here to tell you he's faithful and that your time is near. He's about to put a demand on what he's been doing in your heart. So I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer to that effect today. As we're praying, prayer teams are gonna come to the altar. And if you would like to pray after I close the service, they're gonna agree with you in prayer. If there's anything specific that you'd like prayer for, we're gonna continue to pray after I close, but we're just gonna end today in a corporate prayer. And so here's all that I ask. If there's anything we've said today that ministers to you, just simply do this with me. Just close your eyes and bow your head. You can open your hands just like this in a receiving posture. And just open your heart to the Lord. And if you don't know what to pray, you can pray along with me. Lord, if I've been lifted up in pride, Lord, maybe I had good intentions, but maybe I've had a bad method. Lord, if I have made myself the hero of my own story, the point of my own story, Lord God, I repent. And Lord, I put you back as the center of my story. Lord, if I've dealt harshly with people, if I've dealt severely with people because it's been about me, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. That's some of the sweetest things that you can say to God. Is God forgive me if I got off track? God, if I can't see it, show me. Illuminate it to me. Teach me, show me if I have gotten off track. Lord, any of us in the room today that we're feeling compelled to repent, Lord, we just say that together as a church body. God, we repent for making the story about us. And Lord, I say it over myself and my family and my church. God, the story is about you. I'm here for you, Jesus. It's our privilege and honor to be your children and to serve in your kingdom. God, it's all about you. And Lord, there, then there are others of us that we have kept the way. We've kept you at the center. Lord, even when we've got off, we've tried so hard to keep you in the middle. If you know that God has something for you and you have been on the path following him, just lift your hand. Lord, I speak a blessing. I speak strength and grace and encouragement to those of us that we've been walking humbly with you. We've been loving our neighbors, loving our brothers, loving our family. God, we've been serving. Lord, I release the blessing over them. I release the blessing over this house of humility, this house of service. And I say, God, you're taking us places. You're taking them places. God, he who is faithful with little is faithful with much. And God, I ask that you bless the faithfulness of your people. They've served in shadows. And now, God, I'm asking that you help them to serve well in the spotlight. And that, God, you'll exalt the humility in this house. That you'll honor the faithfulness of this house. I'm just feeling this in my spirit. If this is you, you just say, Lord, I receive it. There are parents who you have been faithful 
in your relationship with your children and you're believing for a turn. And I just want to say by faith today, God's going to be faithful to your family. He's going to be faithful to your children and no situation is ever too far gone. So Lord, we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. I want to say thank you to you, church. You have been a wonderful audience today. I know that today's sermon is a bit unorthodox in its delivery, but thank you for sticking with me today. I'm believing that God has ministered to you. So I want to dismiss you, and all I want to say as you go is this. Go and be blessed. The team is going to worship. And our teams are here for prayer. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, please come and let's pray together. Hope you have a blessed day. Thank you, Gate Church Online family. We are so excited that you are here today to to, uh, join us. And we pray that you are encouraged and challenged by the word that we heard today. We see the three stages of John in his walk with Christ. John calling out, praying for a fire to come down on the sinners. And then we see a John who is looking for a place, for a position. At last we see John um, asking Christ for information that nobody else in the room had access to. We pray today that you can find yourself in one of these three stages, that you will take a minute and say, let me stop and find out where am I in my walk with Christ. That we may start seeing that Jesus did not come to destroy lives, but he came to give life. That we may be challenged and ask God to give us the eyes he has and give us the ears he has, that we will start looking around to our, in our families, our neighborhoods, our, our jobs, in our cities, and that we will start asking God to give us compassion and to help us to love com- uh, unconditionally. Are you ready today to allow the Holy Spirit, wherever you are, in your car, in your home, at work, wherever you are spiritually, to allow the Holy Spirit today and to give you revelation of where God wants us to be, that we we may be a reflection of Christ, that when the, the world looks at us, they know this Jesus is what I need. He is the one that can bring change in my life, not because we are calling for fire to come down on them, but that we will love them unconditionally. We want to pray with you today. Just take a minute. And let us focus on Christ. And we say, Father God, we surrender to you today in a new way. Give us fresh revelation about your will and your desire for our lives. But also for the lives around us. May we be an empty vessel. May we be a voice. May we we be your arms, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, and your feet. That we may bring Christ to the ones around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to see you back next week. And if you have a chance, don't hesitate to replay this message and to help the, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to help you to remember Jesus came to bring life. We love you and we'll see you again next week.